Tyrese Halliburton was stunned, Malika. Uh, the league is stunned at this trade. First 10 for three. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. Um, Caitlin and I have put out a bunch of draft profiles, both by a podcast and written form over on IC that I encourage you to go check out. We put a lot of time into them, especially this most recent one on Jabari Smith. If you are a fan of another team who actually does have the hopes of, of, of drafting Jabari Smith, I encourage you to go read that because I think that's the best one we put out so far. Uh, and without further ado, I'm joined by my good friend, co-host and colleague, Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I've moved on. I've reached the <laughs> rationalization stage of draft lottery grief. I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah, last night was certainly... Can we just harp on for a minute? They need to put way more effort into making the lottery like an enticing event to watch. There was like nothing. First of all, I just I, I need to get on my soapbox as somebody who who like kept up with this all year. Like I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's hear it. First of all, Jay Billis has no idea what he's talking about when it comes to the draft. If we are being completely honest, it's very frustrating. Uh, like I'm not saying that he doesn't know basketball, but like we we do this every year where we put him on the draft show and he has like no idea about any of the stuff going on in the NBA. He doesn't understand NBA fit. All he knows is like, this guy's a good kid and a hard work. And I know his dad because I played with him at Duke or something like that. And it's just, what does this add? This adds nothing to me. I just want Mike Schmitz on the camera the entire time. Cause he knows what he's talking about. He's good at his job. And just, just please also like not to slander Kendrick Perkins. Kendrick Perkins also does not know any of these college dudes. It's just wild to me how we keep doing this year in year out. But they didn't ask me. Um, it feels like we did like this 45 minute ramp up. And then it's just like, oh, in eight minutes, here's all of the picks. And then we'll slow down for five seconds at the top four. Like at least put some drama into it. I don't know if you want to make it entertaining, like then make it entertaining. That's, that's my, uh, that is my, uh, that, that's where I'm at on it. You know, yeah, there. I, I did have some questions because I was doing playback during it. So I had like muted the broadcast because like hearing that. Yeah, hearing that in my headset while I was trying to react and talk was very disorienting. But I did happen to think to myself, how are they stretching this into a half hour program? And then when you go over like the representatives, a lot of them seemed like they're almost being held there against their will. Like PJ Washington looks like the he most. He does not look thrilled at all. Oh my God. Yeah. So that aspect of it, I, I, I hear where you're coming from. Yeah. Something I'd love to see changed up, although it does not seem likely. Shout out to Malik Andrews, though. She's been killing it over uh, over at NBA Today and NBA Countdown and, uh, and everything. Uh, so, yes, the, the Indiana Pacers fell in the, in the draft lottery down to six. What was your uh, what was your initial reaction? My initial reaction, because I was doing that playback show, somebody had asked, like, okay, what's the worst case scenario here for the Pacers? I'm like, well, the worst case scenario is they fall to ninth and the Kings would leap up into the top four and there would be DeMontis Sabonis potentially representing the Kings while they get a number one pick. So when 
they got to seventh and the Kings weren't there. There was a, a bit reaction on my part that did I speak this into existence? Is it actually going to happen? But I mean, as Kevin Pritchard pointed out afterwards, it has, you know, we knew from the odds, they had a greater chance of falling below fifth than staying at fifth, which was a very slight chance or moving ahead. So it was, it was somewhat expected, but also from like a fan standpoint, they don't need my permission, but I'm giving them my permission to feel disappointed by it. Like, I mean, I'm sure if you look at the last three or four years, like number seven has been very lucky. They've moved into the top four. Like I'm pretty sure Memphis leaped up whenever they got jaw. I mean, each of the last four years, the team that's been in number, yeah, I mean, last year, the Raptors pulled up, they were seventh and ended up grabbing Scotty Barnes. So they're always with the way the odds are now, there was a chance that the Pacers would move up ahead. So, um, and if you get the number one pick, that's not a guarantee of success, but certainly you do have more options, more, more trade partners potentially. And you're picking from, you know, every single selection, which is rather obvious, but what was your reaction when they fell to sixth? Um, it's a good question. I don't want to say su- unsurprised is like the wrong way to put it. Like it just felt right. I was, I was like, you know, given this team, like I'm, I'm not really shocked that they didn't get the number one pick. Like I don't want to say that they didn't deserve it or anything like that. I I, I think deserved is a, you know, a horseshit statement throughout, throughout there. Like it, it's, there's a million different contextual things to go in, but I was just kind of like, yeah, I wasn't really expecting them to, um, I also kind of jinxed it earlier. Some people may be mad at me. I literally just, I do really annoying things on Twitter sometimes because I have too much time on my hands uh, when I'm not working. And I just did Paolo. And then I kept like, you know, making each, each time that you type out Paolo, like a little bit shorter and then turn it into Pacers. So um, I did that to us in case you were wondering, Caitlin, Uh, it's unfortunate. We won't be doing a pot on Paolo most likely now. Um, But no, I mean, I think, I mean, we'll talk a lot about this in, in, in talking about Kevin's presser, but I think to me, it just made it a little bit more muddy for me as to what the, as per usual, what the team's direction is going to be. So um, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounded from his availability that they're keeping their options completely open. I mean, that was probably the greatest buzzword to come out of that. I felt like was the word optionality and I don't disagree. I mean, they do have a lot of ways they could go. And let me ask you this by comparison, if we look back to last summer and every interview that you saw Rick Carlisle, Kevin Pritchard, or that you read from Chad Buchanan versus that 15 minutes that they posted on Twitter of him talking, when did they sound more enthusiastic last year or in that? Ooh, I think right now. Oh, overwhelmingly. I felt that they sounded more excited and enthused about what directions they could go in or what they could take. I mean, if we look back at last year, it's like the little clip we spliced in from, you know, during the game when they were in Vegas and Rick Carlisle was like, you know, it's an interesting roster or like the little sound bite that Chad Buchanan had in the Q and a that he did with Scott Agnes, where at the end of it, he said like, you know, we have two bigs on the roster and I guess that's going to challenge Rick's creativity a little bit. Or like talking about being a tough out again. Like it never sounded like they were overwhelmingly excited about what they had. And again, I think in part injuries to TJ Warren and Karis LeVert couched that a little bit. And I also think they were just biding their time for when the right deal presented itself. But I did notice a pretty big change in what their overall, like I said, enthusiasm was. Like at least from Kevin's standpoint, it seemed like they're excited about all the different things and choices that they have in front of them which was good to hear. 
Yes, I agree. Um, I guess we can we can dive right into talking about his availability. Um, I think the first thing to me that's it was I don't want to say it was surprising that it was short because I mean the draft lottery just happened, so I understand having it be like a shorter press conference. But um, I mean, right off rip, he mentioned you know all the scouts were in town for the most part; they were all you know there uh, talking and just kind of hanging out before the lottery, and mentioned that Rick was also a big part as well. Um, Ding ding! That is the uh, that is that is the part I was dropping. Uh, we mentioned that a little bit before before we got on. Um, I guess you know, I mean, like you mentioned, talking about the optionality. Kevin brought up a really uh, interesting analogy. You know, talking about his time in Portland and how you know they went from having a really rough stretch to in their draft um, they had the odds for the number one pick drop down to fourth, and then they ended up making a couple of trades and ended up with Marcus Aldridge and, and Brandon Roy out of the draft and was like, you know, we uh, we were able to change around the course of the franchise in one draft. And then, of course, he goes on to say, you know, I can't promise that's going to happen here, but we're going to try our darndest as, you know, in the charismatic Midwestern way that that KP always has a way of addressing it. Um, but I, I did think it stood out how much he, saying put stock into is the wrong way, but um, like he definitely made it sound like they are looking to to do things in either direction. Like he didn't just openly come out and say, we're only trying to, to trade up or keep our pick like you mentioned like you know if if there's an opportunity to get a player um who's already in the league you know that he didn't say this outright in words but like you know that was part of uh part of you know one of the quotes he had um so yeah i mean off of that where what were your thoughts there i mean yeah that was a big takeaway in terms of him saying like where you're picking at being number six isn't necessarily where you're going to pick at on draft night. We could, you know, in the sense that they could be really aggressive and move up. They did do that to with various assets they had to get another pick and get Isaiah Jackson last year. Um, and he does have a history of moving around some in Portland, so they could move down. He was very open to the idea that they have 25 million in cap space, and that may not be something that they spend directly on acquiring or signing a free agent, but could be, you know, we use that space and he termed it as grab a player, but I kind of interpreted that more as take on a bad contract with another pick attached so that we can add more young talent through that vein. And then, like you said, I think later on, I believe it was Greg Doyle who asked the question mm -hmm. about, um, and Kevin said, there'll be a moment when we know who that guy is that we want to bring into Indiana. And one of the pathways that he mentioned was, it could be a player currently playing in the NBA. So as you said, that's four different paths right there. And that, that was something that stood out because when you talked about him saying that they met with all the scouts and that the front office has been talking and basing scenarios, you said they were already up to 20 different scenarios of everything that they could do at this current point in time. With the I missed agent. that quote. I did yeah. miss that quote. Yeah. So um, clearly, like you said, I think that's the biggest takeaway that they're going to keep all of their options open. And he even said, um, because I believe that Scott Agnes and James Boyd talked to him in addition to this media availability because they are both at the combine. And he had a quote in there too where he had talked about um that he didn't don't he didn't want to enter this draft with like his draft order already set in mind yeah. that he wants to evaluate all that when players come to town, which I think is the next point that I kind of want to ask you about it seemed very evident to me that they're putting a lot of value on meeting with those players one-on-one. -on -one. Is that what impression you had? Yeah. Or at uh, least at workouts. 
Yeah, I found that really interesting. He really hammered home. We want somebody who wants to be an indie. Um, yeah. like I feel like I think he said that at least five or six times throughout the 13 minutes, which is that's a lot. Um, you know, he mentioned a ton about how they're like you mentioned, they're they're excited about um, interviewing guys in person and getting to know them um, and finding, you know, I think he said 100 different ways, which obviously, you know, exaggeration, but 100 different ways of asking you know, how much they love basketball and how much they, they would want to be in Indiana and just want to win. Um, I just, yeah, I agree. I found that interesting, especially in lieu of, uh, of Sabonis' departure and some of the quotes that have come out uh, since he's been in Sacramento. Um, and Victor and Paul, you know, like there is a little bit of a track record, as we've talked about on here before, of guys wanting to leave Indiana eventually. Um and I think, you know, as we've hit on before, I don't think that that's entirely just a player driven thing, but uh, alas, um, it definitely was noteworthy and stood out quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a delicate balance there between, you know, sometimes you can do everything right and a guy still might want to be in a different market. And also, I think that there is more that they could have been doing in some of those situations in terms of star retention. But I mean, that that more has to do with players that they've had there. But yeah, I mean, it, it felt very clear that he did at the very least talked about wanting to bring players to Indiana. So like you said, they could meet with them, be around them for 24 hours. And I think that kind of goes back to the question that you asked on our Jabari pod, where you talked about draft intel and, and Jabari having, you know, a really good work ethic and always wanting to be in the gym and asking me how important I found that. And I've I would want as much information as possible yeah. mm-hmm. because like I can watch the games and say, Oh, this is the way this player is used. And that's how that might fit in the offense. But I don't know the individuals as people. So I value that they're, you know, they said they're changing their approach a little bit. And I think that it's a good thing too, that they said they're going to sit there and watch film with them because sitting there side by side and getting that player's insights into their own skill set and how that might fit with other players who are on the team and what Rick Carlisle, you know, wants to do or ways that they could use them with Rick Carlisle should give them pretty good insights. I would think into what that player's aptitude for learning and their feel kind of is in addition to um, just getting a general sense over what kind of people they are and, and their willingness to improve, which I think are two pretty big things. But I guess my other takeaway from that was, do you think that they would be willing to draft someone who doesn't come in for a workout? Oh, that's a good question. Because it Um, felt to me like that, that them saying like that we draft a player who has come into Indiana. I hadn't thought about that. That is a good point. Yeah. Cause he kind of mentions like, I think he's, I want to, I don't want to misquote him, but if I remember correctly, the direct quote was, I'm very like, cause uh, Greg Doyle also asked him about, you know, like, are you, you know, take picking it at sixth or you're being lower down or are you at all worried about, you know, getting that guy who wants to come play in Indiana. And uh, KP was basically straight up. He's like, you know, I'm not at all worried about, you know, getting some, like we're pretty confident uh, in whoever comes in here is going to be somebody that we want to have here. And that's going to want to be here. Um, yeah. Cause I thought of that when I heard those quotes. So late last night and then early this morning, I was like, I wonder how many of the players that they've drafted recently are players that they brought in for workouts. And it was actually kind of surprising that it was kind of hard for me to find comprehensive lists from the last four years of every single player. So I kind of had to work my way through. So this is probably somewhat imperfect, but in his first year, which would have been the TJ Leaf draft class, they brought TJ Leaf and EK Anabogu in for workouts. And that's who they ended up drafting. The next year they took 
Aaron Holiday and Alizé Johnson, they brought Alizé in for a workout, but I could not find any evidence of Aaron being among the people that they worked out. The next year, I didn't see any evidence of Goga either on the list. The year after that was the COVID year, so they weren't having um, players weren't going around for workouts like that when they took Cassius Stanley. And then last year, Chris and Isaiah Jackson were both in for workouts with the Pacers. So generally speaking, the trend was that the people that they brought in for workouts did ended up getting drafted. And sometimes when you look through it, um, other players that they brought in ended up getting two-way contracts or ended up on their summer league rosters as well, with the exception of Goga and Aaron, who are first-round picks. And in that sense, maybe, I don't want to say buyer's remorse, but maybe they're thinking like if we had had one-on-one time for them. And again, you don't know, maybe their agents didn't set up workouts there. Maybe that's a piece of this, but um, it's, it just sounded to me that like, as we continue to monitor who the players that they bring in are, I would be a little bit surprised if they took somebody who wasn't on those particularly lists. Oh, and one little side note, I did look back to the year when Jalen Brunson was drafted and they had just a, he was the only person who came in for a workout. It was an individual workout with Jalen Brunson. So wow. just a fun fact that we can all know. A fun fact in quotes. Yeah. Uh, and underlined and italicized and bullet. Um, no, that is interesting. And I think kind of like you're hitting at too, like uh, I had hoped that they're getting somebody into workout that, that they want to draft like that. I mean, like you mentioned, I think getting to know the players more and, and understanding who they are as people and, and prospects and where they're going. Like that's, that's huge. That's, that, that's setting the initial relationship of like what you're, how, how you're, you know, being the, the player organization relationship, like that's important. So now I'm sure that there probably would be some like really outlier circumstances where maybe oh, that yeah. would be different. Like, let's say it's like an Anthony Bennett situation where people really aren't expecting the Cleveland Cavaliers to take him first. So then other people do fall further and maybe you don't get in like, this is just a hypothetical, but you're not working out Paolo Bancaro because he's expected to go number one. Maybe his agent is setting up a lot of workouts and something crazy happens at the top of the draft. You're probably going to be open to that, but generally speaking, it sounded to me like they were going to really value that process. So you brought up the talk about actually like wanting people who want to be in Indiana. Um, What is your thought on that in terms of drafting somebody who wants to be in Indiana? I, I don't want to sound harsh, but I think this is something we we've talked about this before. And I do tend to take a little bit of an issue with how often this team kind of does present itself as like, Oh, you know, we're this small market chip on our shoulder team. Like I really think that they need to focus on rebranding themselves and selling themselves instead of thinking that being here is what sells you. Like I'm not trying to put words in KP's mouth, but that's how it comes off to me sometimes we're being honest. Like, like, cause even then, like KP mentioned, like, you know, like when somebody asked, you know, uh, if, if he viewed like, you know, being at six and being quote unquote below the tier of what the top four players is as a weakness. And um, KP mentioned, you know, well, I like the idea of getting somebody with a chip on their shoulder um, who wasn't viewed in that. And I, I, I think that I, that's not something I can fault to an extent, but also I think it's just really important that they start presenting Indiana like a place that you want to be instead of acting like, Oh, we know that people doubt us and this and that, like, I don't know. Does, does that make sense to you? Cause like, I just feel like they always do that. And it, I find it frustrating at a time. Like, well, I mean, I think, and I don't want this to sound derogatory toward the fan base. Cause I totally get where they're coming from, yeah. but like there is somewhat of a defeatist attitude that like, 
Yeah. And I don't think it's completely incorrect that like the Pacers aren't going to be able to sign top tier free agents. So don't go into it with that type of expectation. And in the sense that I do think they're going to have a better chance of finding high end talent in the draft than they do in free agency. But at the same time, I don't know how much I necessarily, how much that would impact my drafting decision. Um, in part, because I guess you can kind of look at the weirdness of what the Zion Williamson situation has been and kind of wonder like, did he want to be in new Orleans when he was drafted? Like, I know there's a lot of weirdness around that. So I'm not saying it's not a concern at all, but when you're drafting somebody like they're going to be around in Indiana for a while, like hopefully if they're good, they're going to go into restricted free agency and they're going to be here for years. So you would have a lot of years to convince them of your vision, convince them of why, you know, being with the Pacers isn't such a bad thing and have them, you know, grow into hopefully, enjoying and liking where they live and what team they play for. I think I'm a little bit would be more weary of it if, if it was a situation. And again, this is a complete hypothetical. Let's say the Pacers went into this draft and we're like, Oh, the jazz have made Donovan Mitchell available. And we're going to push as hard as we possibly can to get Donovan Mitchell. Like, I think you'd want to have a little bit of information as to whether Donovan Mitchell has any interest in being in Indiana when you're going to be giving up actual assets. So like in, in trade negotiations, when you're signing, you know, a free agent to a short-term deal, um, you'd probably want to have some insight to whether you're going to be able to win that person over to stay in a small market. But in terms of actually drafting them, I don't know if I would be that concerned about that. Yeah. And no. that being said, that like I will admit, I have found it endearing to watch Tyrese Halliburton at the Indy 500 and wearing like Reggie Miller shirts and really trying to endear himself to Indiana in a way that feels very genuine. Like I'm not saying that I'm immune to all of that. It's just I don't know that it would be very high on my list of criteria. Yeah, no, exactly. Like I think that's kind of what I'm trying to get at too. Like I think like you mentioned, it's not just a one-time thing of like yeah, I want to be in Indiana. And it's like, cool, you're here for four years. Like, it's, I mean, it's it's like we just mentioned, it's a relationship. Like, you have to consistently be doing in everything you do, proving like, this is a place you want to be. Like, this is a place where you can start your career and become this player and, and build something here. Like, it's not just a one-time come in for the draft before you get drafted and be like, oh yeah, this is where I want to be. Um, like, like you're mentioning, like, like you mentioned with Zion, like Zion is, I, I don't remember where the, who has had the quotes. I know it's from like credible sources in New Orleans, but like after looking really rocky on whether or not he would be back, like there's still some funkiness about what his contract's going to be. But by all accounts, it seems like Zion is like, actually like, oh, hey, like they, they did shit to get good. And I can, I can see myself fitting into that. And I don't know if that means I'm going to be here for the rest of my career, but like, yeah, I'm going to be here next year and we're going to play. Like, like you mentioned, I think that there's just, there's a very real aspect of like, you have to be continually doing stuff. Like it can't just be a, it's like a real relationship. Like, okay. If you, if you stop going out on dates and you don't, I mean, if you're just looking at your phones all the time at at dinner and not actually talking about your days or anything, like, yeah, your relationship's probably going to go to shit. Like it's, (laughs) it's, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a two-way street and there's gotta be a lot going into it. So there's definitely credence to it, but yeah, I think we're on the same page with that. Then I also want to get into like the discussion about finding guys who really love to play basketball. And that has seemed like a criteria that they've used for a while. Like when they traded for TJ Warren and like, by all accounts, TJ Warren's a gym rat wants to be around 
basketball as much as possible in the summer like even hearing some of the stuff that he had said during the hiatus and how much he wanted to be and wanted to find keys to a high school gym so he could get in and play it seems like that definitely really matters to the Pacers and the one reason I bring this up is I would have liked to hear a follow-up question about how hard is it to find that like because we hear general managers kind of throw that out a lot but I've never heard very many people answer like is that rare among NBA players. But one time that I did that I kind of wanted to bring up just to have as a baseline, um, DNVR who covers the nuggets, really great Mm -hmm. outlet. If people listen to their podcast, they had Tim Conley actually come into their bar for their live show after a game and they interviewed him and they were kind of talking about, you know, the whole Hooper versus basketball player debate. And like, how does he approach that going into draft or when they find players? And he had said, you know, kind of leaning toward the Hooper model and saying that, like, you know, we'll have like a Slack chat among the front office and other people talking about players. And like, because of where the NBA is today, that somebody will be like, oh, that guy's a really good pick and roll defender. And Tim Conley said, and I'll be like, well, great. What else can he do? And talking about finding, like he mentioned how Bones Highland wants to be in a gym all the time. We'll go find rec leagues and, you know, after games and still wanting to go play and, and gyms that are open. So they did ask that follow-up question. I believe it was Adam who asked, you know, how many players, like not just with the nuggets, but in the general NBA, would you say that you're talking about with that type of a desire to love playing basketball? And he said he would say half is probably a pretty big number. And he said he didn't want to like pass judgment on it, but like the idea that, you know, it's 12 o'clock on a Thursday night and your team's in Miami and they still want to go find somewhere to hoop, that that's a very small minority. So when Kevin's bringing that up in terms of a search criterion, apparently that is something that you're not just going to readily find. Mm-hmm. I'll have to tell you about this off pod, but like this very much so is uh, in thinking about this, like I have a, I have an idea of who we should talk about next, but yeah. Um, no, I think that's, that's a really great point. Also shout out, like you mentioned, shout out to DMVR. Adam Mars is awesome. Everything they do over there is, is fantastic. I, I love everything they're doing. No, it was a really good interview of people. I think they still have it up on YouTube. Yeah. Like if you just want to hear a front office executive. I listened to it on their pod as well. Oh, okay. So, so you had already heard it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, being in a very relaxed setting and hearing some of his insights, I thought was pretty good, but yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I just wanted to touch on that. Definitely. Um, is there anything else you want to hit on from, I'm going back through my notes. Do, I, do we want to hit anything Yeah. I mean, I think that another thing is, you know, falling to six, were you left with the impression that they, I mean, this kind of parlays a bit or piggybacks a bit off of our, the end of our AJ Griffin pod and me asking like, how much do you think they'll be willing to roll the dice? And that was with us not knowing where they were going to pick. Do you think it sounded like they might be open to taking some more risks now that they know that they've fallen? Uh, I think so. I don't think we've hit on this yet, but Kevin mentioned like he didn't say a bad player or contract, but he mentioned he was like, yeah, well, there's only seven or eight teams that really have cap space and we're one of them. And we have an opportunity to be aggressive in either opening up more cap space or we could even be willing to, you know, maybe we get another pick and take on a player. And he said, obviously, he said a player because, you know, they're not going to just be like a bad contract, but like basically is kind of what he alluded to. So that is an interesting thing to note. Like, I, I, I don't know if I want to say that means more risk. I, I just realized that's not the question you asked, but um, 
in terms of like another avenue for sure. But that is thinking in a longer term way. Yeah. Like if like, you're willing to take on a bad contract and exactly. to get another pick, like you're definitely thinking with a longer view. And like he had a quote, like Scott has this from his newsletter. Um, and this was from them talking, not on this media stream. But he said the most important, Kevin said, quote, the most important thing is keeping an open mind now to what we're going to be able to do. Quite frankly, thinking long-term, thinking about how to acquire more young talent, that seems exciting to me. To me, even more so than anything he said on the video, like that's the winning quote. Because I think at this point, like you might've been able to talk yourself into, I don't want to say status quo, but like if you got a top three pick and adding somebody who could help you right away, that could plug in and you, you know, see how good you can be next year. Without that, and not to say that they can't get a really good player at number six, you know, that that could happen. The best player in this draft, because of what type of draft it is, may not even be selected in the top four. I don't know. But the idea that they're looking to add to their young core and and lean into that window, I think is something that's been compelling for both of us for a while. And that kind of leads me to think that at the very least, not saying that it will happen, but that they'll be willing to listen to offers on Brogdon and Buddy Heald and Miles potentially if that offers them avenues to get more bites at the apple. Because if you think about it, if you can get more picks, then there is the opportunity that you could package some of those and move up or, you know, whatever else you're going to do. So um, it was exciting to me that he was excited to think long-term. Yes, I agree. I liked hearing that. I would kind of wish we could have heard from Rick yesterday too to see what he thinks on that. But yeah. I mean, and I, I, you mentioned too, that this was pretty short, um, overall it was fairly short. I think it only lasted like 14 minutes or at least yeah. the part that they were willing to put on YouTube only lasted 14 minutes. I mean, I would have liked to hear a couple questions about like, and I don't expect him to know specifics. The combine was just now today. They're just now meeting with players, but generally speaking, you know, cause he mentioned fit as well. So what type of players are you interested in? What type of team are you trying to be? And not that you have to have a complete firm identity or that you're trying to be, you know, a playoff contender in a year's time, given what their timeline is. But because we haven't heard from him since the trade deadline and that conversation was more just shared through the lens of Tyrese. And again, him pointing out and using the analogy of the, of the boat and being able to go in different directions. In some ways, this was a little bit of an extension of that. And I still don't think we've really heard from him about what type of team they want to construct and move forward with and put, you know, around Tyrese or with Tyrese. And I would have liked to hear a few more of those questions, but obviously there wasn't a lot of time for questions either. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I definitely would have liked to hear more, but. um, Come on the pod. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. KP come on the pod. If you, if you are listening, come, come talk to us. Um, But yeah. Did did you want to hit anything else from this Caitlin? No, I think that we've touched on everything. I will say thank you to the handful of people that reached out on Twitter and said that they're liking the draft profile pods. Like just for me personally, that's been like something that stretched me and taken my content into a new area. And I wanted to give a shout out to the people who gave a few names of people they'd like to hear us do. And we're trying to compile a list and get more of those in because I mean, the one benefit that we have to this mark is now that the Pacers have fallen, this is good for the content machine because if they had been one, two or three, we would have just been like, okay, we're doing Bancaro and, and Holmgren. And now we're done. Now we have a lot more of these to crank out and do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would have very much liked to talk more about Paul Bancaro and Chad Holmgren, but it's fine. Um, Yeah. 
we have we have a lot to talk about and get into. I'm very excited for that. If you guys have any ideas, send them our way. I have a couple names that I mean that Caitlin and I have talked about from uh, from Twitter, and, and one that I want to talk to her after as well. But yeah, we have a we have a lot to get 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 done before shit. I mean, this is a month away now, right around there. Yeah, we're inside. We're we're in the home stretch now. Oh, one other thing that we didn't even bring up is uh, I liked it whenever Kevin Pritchard said this is going to be a fun process, and he's like, "I hate that word." <laughs> that was very funny. <laughs> I uh, yeah, that that made me like got got to get that one in there, but yeah, yeah, that was very funny. KP always gets a little zinger off like that, so I appreciated that. All right. Well, Caitlin, this was a blast to everyone listening. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, again, please be sure to go check out the draft profiles we already have done, even though some of those guys probably won't be Pacers. They might be Pacers. Who knows? This could be a crazy draft. Um, so enjoy uh, the rest of your day. Most importantly, ah, damn, I was going to say enjoy the rest of your day. Well, enjoy the rest of your day a second time. Talk to you later. <laughs>